felt like I was um, going to talk about, um, we've been talking about our core values, but going back even further and talking about the name of LightHop. Um, and then in David's message last week, he, I don't remember what he said, but it, um, it like he, he talked about the name of our church and um, two of the passages that he gave last week, which I jotted down, um, I, you don't have to turn to these, but it's John eight twelve that Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, um, but have the light of life. And then Matthew 5, 14, which says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So he is the light and we are the light because we are beholding him and becoming like him. And um, he's setting us um, in a place where people can see us. Um, um, so I'm just going to tell you some of the things I feel like the Lord is saying about um, the name Lighthap. I, um, I remember hearing that that's what this church was going to be called and going, oh, huh, that's, I don't know, for whatever reason, it feels so natural now, but when I heard it, I thought that's a interest like a unique name for a church I don't know what I thought we would be named um and it just kind of is obviously there's a lot of symbolism with a, a lighthouse and um but then all of a sudden um maybe about a week and a half ago I just felt like the Lord was kind of opening that up to me and what he said to me was um Jesus told me he's like I named Lighthop like Tom might have heard it first I think you were the first right you named it um, Tom heard it first, but uh, Tom didn't name Lighthop. Jesus did. He just heard it first. And, like, there's more implied. So, like, um, you know, you ever, somebody has a baby and they've named them something, and you're like, what does it mean? Like, what, is it a family name? Is there meaning behind it? Um, and so that is what I feel like he's saying is he's showing me just a little, he's opening up a little bit more of his intention behind naming us um, a lighthouse. And actually, uh, the name of our church is like, it has two parts. It's lighthouse and a house of prayer and kind of this really fun way where it overlaps at the house part. <laughs> um, and uh, so like the house is like doubly, it's implied that it's there twice. Um, um, and I hear the Lord saying that our, our prophetic directive is to function as a lighthouse. Um Yeah, some of kind of the basics when I think of a lighthouse is um, like it just kind of representing like hope or rest, like getting to come home and um, safety, um, you know, the lost or found or deliverance or avoiding like pitfalls. Um, the Lord says that a lighthouse is in, uh, it's in a high place. It's a watchtower. Um, and we've, we're called to be watchmen on the walls. It's on a rock, usually, like, especially you ever see lighthouses that are actually built in, like, out into the water, and they'll be built on a rock, and, like, you, nobody's in them, but it's just kind of this terrifying image of these waves that are literally going all the way over it, and how scary it must be that uh, there used to be somebody that would have to go out there and be in it, or there wouldn't be a light in it. Um, there's a lamp in it, and it's got to be tended, it, um, you know, before electricity, they would need to be cleaned, um, wicks trimmed, and oil kept in them. Uh, there was tending to it. It's lonely, being a lighthouse keeper. You can't have a big party. Like, you're not throwing parties in the top of the lighthouse. Uh, maybe. <laughs> It'd be like a very cozy party. Um, it's a sacrificial ministry. It is... Um, there's pain involved. There's pain as you watch people wreck and you feel like you've been so clear about how not to do that. Um, there's a lot of joy um, when people come home, when they come in and there's safety found um, and you know that the, the light worked and it, it served its function. Um, Um, and, and I think the point of talking about this is the Lord is, what he said to me, like, this lighthouse idea is, um, it's, a, it's a mandate and, and it's a calling. So um, the Lord has his, um, his purposes 
and his will in the earth that are going to be accomplished regardless of anybody. Um, they will come to pass. Um, and we're called, so part of what's happening here is something that he's doing in Kalamazoo. Um, people have like walked into their calling and walked right back out of the calling um, for this mandate that there would be a house of prayer in Kalamazoo. Um, and more specifically for us, that we would be a lighthouse. Um, so that's what I want to talk about, I guess, is the mandate and the calling. Um, and a mandate is just, it's an official order or a commission to do something. Like God has said, do this, and it's going to happen. But a calling is an invitation to participate into something. Um, and then I felt like, I didn't have this in my notes, but I was thinking about it in um, Proverbs 8. Um, it talks about wisdom, um, because I feel like... Is this still on? felt like it went out. Um, part of being at LightHop, uh, part of the calling of being here is um, to walk in wisdom. Um, and it says uh, at the beginning of Proverbs 8, does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entry of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. And you simple ones, understand prudence. And you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things. And from the opening of my lips will come right things. Um, that a lighthouse is, um, lighthouses can do, they warn um, and show the way to safety. And sometimes they do both at the same time. Like there will be a lighthouse and it's spinning its thing or whatever, making whatever signal, like this is the entrance of this harbor. And at the same time, maybe have a, a colored light, like a red light that's shining directly at um, maybe a rock or like a reef or something like that. I did a little looking up of lighthouses. Um, and so uh, this is like this crossroads of like, hey, if you go this way, <laughs> um, go this way, danger. Um, and, and so uh, a lighthouse is fixed at the intersection of danger and safety. And so um, that's part of what we're called to is to grow in wisdom. Um, um, here. Um, I just wanted to go to a couple. This keeps like going in and out. As long as I'm not crazy. Okay. Um, can you go to um, the book of Luke, please? I just wanted to point out a couple of um, places in the Bible where this idea that God is going to do something and people are invited into the process. Um, Luke 19. Um, I could talk about Luke 19 a couple times. Um, the triumphal entry. So this is like, mm, let's go down like 30, maybe 37. Just before that, like 35. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colts and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the mountain of olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answers and said to them, I tell you, if these should not keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. So um, the people who were worshiping God at that moment, it was uh, the Holy Spirit inspired it. Um, to such a degree that Jesus was like, if I tell these people to stop, nature itself would do this because, um, you know, Jesus didn't walk around all the time with people yelling his praise, but in this moment, the Spirit had said, do this, and they, they were doing it. Um, 
he was going to be praised in that moment because the father had decided it. He hadn't decided it for himself, but the father had decided it. And so uh, these people were called to participate in that. And I'm, maybe there were people standing there that made a choice not to. Um, we don't know. But some people did, and um, it was expressed in different ways. Some people were throwing their clothes on the road or helping him get on the donkey. Some people were, they, you know, they were yelling these praises. Um, they were blessing him. And um, so there were different expressions of how they participated in it, but they answered the call to worship him in that moment. Um, if you go back, Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and then he entered a certain village where he, where, I can do this. <laughs> then he entered a certain village. There met him ten men who were lepers, and they stood afar off, and they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that they went, uh, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the, um, where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to, them, to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Um, Jesus isn't uh, unfair, so um, I believe like there was something inside of all ten of them to turn around and go praise him, and they didn't. Only one of them did. Do you see what I mean? Like um, they were all ten healed, but it it says that this one man was healed and made well um, because he turned around. Like he he responded to the calling to go back and and um, and praise him. And Jesus would not have like been accusatory towards the other nine if it had not been possible for the other nine to have responded to praising him. Um, so part of part of what the Lord is doing in the earth is um, he's cleaning out he's cleaning out uh, the temple. Um, Jesus prophetically did that in Matthew 21, right? He turns over, um, he turns over the tables, uh, the people who had taken the place that was meant for like the reach for God and the reach for um, coming back into communion with God and being right with Him, and they were they were making money off of it. They were they were kind of doing this really gross thing of taking. Um, the purity of the temple, uh, the really ruining it, and Jesus um, is kind of cleaning it up. And what he says about it is like, this is meant to be a place where people pray, and they're they're actually connecting with the Father. Um, and so, part of what the Lord is doing in the earth is like coming back to um, what His intention was for His house, which which is to be a house of prayer, which we all know. Um, so part of uh, the mandate that we're being called into is like purity of um, his house, um, even the idea of house that like this is where the idea of 24-7 comes from. None of us are called to be here 24-7. And yet we pray for it to be 24-7 because it is what he wants, I believe. Um, you know, we like sometimes we don't pray for it all the time, but sometimes you can just feel it like it just comes back up. But we're like, oh, yeah, this is what pleases the Lord and glorifies his name. Like this idea that it is a, a place to dwell and be open 24-7. Like we want to see that um, in the city because we believe like that's what he wants. And um, and so like we'll come back to it, even though like I don't feel like he's personally called me to come like live you know, in any one place. Like, I live at my house because I'm a piece of the puzzle and I'm, a piece, like, my calling is a part of it. Um, but there's a bigger thing that he's trying to accomplish and I want to agree with him. And yet, I, it's not my job to make it happen, but it is my job to agree to my calling in it. Um, yeah, so Jesus cleans out the temple 
Um, and, and he's like, I want to make it like something that's pure. And um, I wanted to read the passage in Isaiah 55. the first two verses of Isaiah 55. So this is kind of his vision for it, right? Quit quit selling and ruining things and, and getting in the between. You're not helping anybody uh, get to God. You're, you're getting in the way of it. Um, he says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water and you have no money. Come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Um, and it goes on, but like this is what he's intending for, um, for his house and it's all free and but if you've been here for a minute you'll know it's very very expensive the free <laughs> like it's costing us our whole lives if we really step into it so um we're we're trading yeah we're making the trade we're coming out of the world in the fleshy way of of doing uh you know what we call church or uh, being the, the place where we're coming to connect with him and we're He's calling us into the purity of it. Um, and somehow, even though it's free, it's very expensive. Um, the, it's not cheap. <laughs> um, which, is, which is lovely because um, have you ever just loved somebody so much and wanted to please them so much and wanted to give them something of great value for maybe a birthday or Christmas or just like you just really want to bless them and... Um, like we can like we don't we don't have anything god is infinite but we we can give him our hearts and that's what he wants anyway but and it's costly to give him our hearts it's like this beautiful it's a beautiful thing that it costs us so much um in matthew 22 is the um uh, the parable where the line, you know, many are called, but few are chosen. And what's happening in it is um, Jesus uh, is talking like there's a wedding and he's sending out these invitations and it's like rounds of invitations are going out. And um, this is really hurty if you've ever had a party and nobody wanted to come. You ever have a party in school, like when you were in elementary school and none of your classmates came? <sighs> stab you in the heart um so and it does like it stabs jesus in the heart i'm be, i'm joking about it because we've all like had parties that people didn't come to but it is um it's really hurty and how um intent is he like that this wedding party is going to happen that he uh, doesn't get offended he stays with it and he's like i don't i don't want to party with the people that didn't want to party with me anyway like he lets it go and he sends that next volley of invitations out and then another one, you know, it's finally he gets people who are, well, are going to come. Um, they went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests because he is going to have a wedding and it will be full of guests. I don't know how big the hall is. I don't know how many guests he has in mind, but it will be full. And I am invited, like... Um, and I just see the wave after wave, uh, you know, generation after generation, he has faithfully sent invitations out to us. He sent them to our father's generation, and he sent them to our grandfather's generation. He's sending them to us. He's sending them to our children's generation because he's faithful. And there are mostly people who say no to him, to this invitation. And and he keeps casting the net, right? He is a fisher of men. He keeps casting the net until he is satisfied and his heart is full. Like I said, we don't know. It's not like there's a magic number to it. I don't know what it is. But he'll know. His heart will be satisfied in it. In verse 11, it says, um, I'm in Matthew 22, 11, But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on wedding garments. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Um, 
this is um, this is the warning: is we can be here and not be here. You know, we can we can have been here and not be here anymore, even though our bodies still come here. Um, there's there's a strange thing about routines and tradition of meeting in the same place like week after week where uh, like it is good for us and it is uh, like the danger zone as well because we can just get into the rut of coming and um, and not have our wedding clothes on anymore and the, the stakes are really high because it's outer it's outer darkness and weeping of gnashing of teeth it's separation from Jesus forever um He said um, to me, every choice um, is an open door to another choice. And this is how we go from glory to glory is like we just say like a yes that doesn't even feel consequential to us. It feels so little like we have so little to say yes to. Um, and that just leads to another door that we can say yes to. Um, and it doesn't matter if you've said no a thousand times in a row. You can say yes now. It gets harder to say yes, the more no's in a row you say. But you can say yes now, and then it will, and then you, it will lead to another door where you can say yes or no again. Um, I really want to talk about the story um, of Esther in Esther 4. Um, I think I'll spend a lot of time here. Um, This idea of there being um, God's plan and purpose that will be accomplished and uh, zeroing in on this young woman um, in a really unique situation and her calling to participate in it. And before I get going, I just want to give you the spoiler of um, in chapter 414, Mordecai tells her relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews. It will. He is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Like, this is a word from the Lord. Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews. That is what's for sure in the story. Um, because I think we read it and we think, like, that's so iffy. It's all dependent on this girl, and it's not dependent on her at all. If we all turn the lights off after this service and we never come back to this building, will there be a house of prayer in Kalamazoo? Like, let's, but let's say the other places that have a house of prayer, which is all today, something's in the air, and we all give up today. We have our reasons, we turn, all turn the lights off, and we walk away. Will a house of prayer exist in the city? Why? Because God wants it. Um, which is so, it, it's like two sides of a coin. Like, it feels so rock solid, and like, I don't have to worry about it. Um, And at the other half, it's so offensive to me. He will not chase me down. I, we sing a lot of songs about how God chases us down. And it's like, when we are lost sheep and we know we are lost and we are repenting and asking him to come find us, he will chase us down. But when we just walk away in our excuses, he is not chasing us and chasing us and chasing us. And yeah, I can turn around and he's right there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He is not far from us, but he is not chasing us. He will let every one of us go. Like, he would let it happen. Because he wants someone who wants to party with him. <laughs> he wants somebody that wants to be at that wedding feast. And so um, it's both so sure and solid, and at the same time, for, for us, it's really, um, I can roll with it. Um, it's really, it feels kind of iffy. Um, which is a good, I think it's a good tension. He wouldn't have made it this way if this tension wasn't good. Um, okay, so we're going to go to Esther 4. Something I want to point out, though, right at the end of 3 is um, the couriers have gone out, the very last verse. The couriers went out, they hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan, the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. So uh, wicked Haman has... Um, deviously come up with this terrible plan. It has been inactive. The word has gone out. And then the king and Haman are in 
they're high tower, they're totally in la-la land of wealth and separation. They're having a party and they're completely separated from the chaos and the pain and the declaration of death that they've just released on a whole people. Like, they don't care. Like, they're doing their thing. They're totally separated. Um, Mordecai, um, it just says, when Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ash and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry and he went as far as the front of the king's gate for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing um, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Um, so here's, here's the cry of the people who are being damned. They're not in their high tower. They're they are the people of God, and they're united in this mourning and the cry and the, all the fear and the, Lord, save us. They're praying. Um, there's no mention of God in Esther, and there's no talk about praying. It's an official document um, in a land of people who did not worship Yahweh. And so all of that is removed from it. But they're praying, right? Um, uh, so Mordecai... Um, he is, he's doing what he ought to do, and Esther catches wind of it. Like, she doesn't go walk around town. It's, it says her maids or uh, the eunuchs, like, kind of word gets back to her, and she wants to take Mordecai out of his right response, and he has to correct her and say, um, it says he uh, gave a copy. This is verse 8. He also gave a, him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her. And that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. Um, and so the eunuch goes back and he tells Esther. Esther's response is like, she's scared. This is really scary. Um, I've already given you the spoiler of saying like Mordecai has heard from the Lord that relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews. So she's being called to something. And she's nervous about stepping into it, which makes sense. I mean, I bet she felt very small. Everybody looking at her from the outside probably thinks, you're so powerful. You're so, um, you're so, you have so much power. You're so close to him. But I tell you, like, the king is the king. And, like, one step away from him is not the king. <laughs> like, it's still scary when you're not the top person that's going to make this decision. Um, and she's very much in her own world. And he, um, he kind of pulls her out of her own world. And there's a lot that happens um, in my Bible. It's just one paragraph, verses 13 and 14. Um, Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. He's saying, you're in La La Land too, like your husband. You're surrounded by all of this uh, totally uh, like weird world of, of the court and um, luxury and, and wealth, and it's not reality. The reality is all these people, like your people, are sitting in um, in dust and, and um, sackcloth, and this is the reality. He's saying, that's not going to hide you. He's helping her come into reality. If you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Like, first of all, it's like watching a tennis match. This really good news, if you remain completely silent, well, there's a whole lot of space <laughs> beyond completely silent. I mean, completely silent is just completely silent. He's like, you don't even have to be good at it. You don't have to say the right. He doesn't tell her what to say. He doesn't, like, coach her. He's, it's not like a script that she's got to practice. He doesn't tell her how to do it. He's like, you just have to care and try. Because his confidence is in the Lord that it's going to happen. She's invited into it. I think that's beautiful. Like, anything that the Lord has given you to do at LightHop, your call here, you, don't have, you just have to, you just have to, tr like, try in, in the Lord to do it. And he's, he's going to put power on it, and we're all doing it, like, badly. And if we're doing it in him, we're doing it perfectly fine. Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Well, that's not, there's, the ball goes back this way. That's not good. <laughs> um, but you and your father's house will perish. He's like, I will cut you off. Uh, 
not you and your husband's house. Like, she's married. She's, she's one with her husband. He's, he's not talking about that. He's like, you're not going to be, like, you won't be with your people. If you don't want to be with your people, you, you will not have that uh, covenant inheritance with the Jewish people anymore. I'll cut you off. You and your father's house are going to perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, here's that. Like, this is the part that offends me, and it hurts my heart. I want him to say, like, it'll work. <laughs> it'll be great. If you go in and you just don't stay silent, it's definitely, this is the plan. He's like, I don't know. So what's sure is he's not going to let all of these the Jewish people die, but who knows? whether she's coming to the kingdom for time with us. He's like, I don't see the future. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Um, just going back a little bit, this idea of being in La La Land. Um, like at some point, the Lord, a series of points, Hopefully for all of us, the Lord has opened our eyes and some scales have been removed. Like, there are a lot of places you could go to church in this town. You're here. If, if you're here, hopefully you're here because you're called to be here. And probably if you're called to be here, it is because some scales fell off of your eyes and you wanted to go forward with the Lord into more. Um, but there's all kinds of things that we did not see until we saw them, Right? Um, I just even, I feel like we talk about this, the things that when we first started, oh, like uh, maybe we a little bit got it, but the Lord is fleshing it out and giving us a fuller picture of it. Or like we didn't even know. I don't, the the idea of repentance, it's not about everybody else. It's about me. And, and a lot of what we're doing here is uh, just working out our salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord and getting clean hands and a pure heart, me, and not praying about everybody else to get it. Um, I don't feel like we had that when we first started here. Is, is that fair to say? Or, or I didn't have it. <laughs> so maybe some of us did, but I feel like that revelation of that has really grown. Is that a fair thing to say? Some of us had it. I don't know that I did. At some point, I did. Um, and there was a lot of liberation in it, and it, it is something that pulled me further into the house of prayer um, to be like, oh, this makes sense. Um, yeah, I think so. I will say there's some things I did not know at all. <laughs> I did not walk through these doors. Or even, you know, before Light Hot, maybe go back another 10 or 15 years. Okay, now you're really talking about, there's a bunch of stuff that I didn't know, right, about the Lord and um, his character, his kingdom, how it all works. At some point, I didn't know, and then scales are removed, and you have to go forward. Um, there was a point where I, I remember my kids were just being naughty, and like, they were losing their minds. It was when we lived close. Tom was at work. Um, they, were, they were younger, but they were old enough to be home alone. And I remember I was like, goodbye. I'm going to prayer. Like, I, I don't know that that was the best parenting move, but I was like, I'll see you guys later. They were old enough to be home alone. And I just left them and I came and I just sat back here and I was like, and the, and the Lord opened my eyes. I'm sure I had heard it before, but he opened my eyes and said, this is the best thing you can do for your kids. Because... I think I, it was just one of those situations where I could feel the more I'm trying to fix their naughtiness, you know, I'm getting more angry. It just, like, it's not working. I'm digging a hole, and we're all falling into it, so I'm going to leave. They're fine. <laughs> I'm going to go, like, be before the Lord. And, you know, in that prayer meeting, I'm sorry, I have a hair. In that prayer meeting, the Lord did not give me strategy for how to go home and, like, parent my kids better. He gave me peace. Uh, my lack of peace was creating chaos in the house, and um, I'm sure he helped me parent them after that. But um, it wasn't like a, it was a, a veil removed from my eyes. And so after that, now that I've seen that, um, I have to walk forward in my parenting with that revelation before me. I cannot pretend I don't know that. That doesn't mean I, I'm doing it perfectly. But I cannot go back to not knowing that because I do know it. 
I screw up, I get back into my flesh and I have to repent a lot about like, um, you know, next time I'll do it the right way, but this time I'm going to like kick someone in the kneecap because they're making me mad. And, um, and it just, it's, it is a sin on me. There are things that are a sin for me because I have revelation from the Lord that they, they are not a sin for other people or they were not a sin for me earlier, but I know better now. Does that make sense? Right? Like, um, Let's go to, ooh, I had a sticky note. It's Hebrews, Hebrews 10. <laughs> um, keep a finger maybe in Esther. I don't know. We might go back there. Hebrews 10, um, let's see, 26. Um, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, gulp, and fiery indignation, which will devour the, uh, the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much more punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Um, so it actually, I mean, it seems like a small thing, this issue I'm talking about with my kids and the revelation the Lord's given me, but I can't go back, right? I can't, I can't like rejoice in how he covered me and, and, and gave me all of the hope of parenting like this and then go back and partner with anger um, and manipulation and try to be a parent like that. I mean, I do, um, and hopefully I, I just keep going, like telling him sorry, he forgives me, but I can't give up on his plan that he's revealed to me. Um, I'll read the whole thing because I didn't... Um, make a note. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you were became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring uh, possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he is coming. He who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe in the saving of the soul. So there's... Um, we need to remember what God is doing, regardless of whether we participate in it or not, like the things that he's revealed to us, there's probably a lot going on in this city that he um, is doing that we might not know about, but he has revealed some things to us, like his promises um, that there will be a faithful witness. I believe there, there's a promise there will be a faithful witness in the city. There will always be a remnant. There will always be watchmen on the wall. Um, whether I am one or not, I feel like I'm called to be one. And so that is of particular interest to me. I believe that he's doing that. I believe there, um, he, um, there will be a house of prayer in this city, whether I participate, whether I leave uh, my calling or not. Um, we don't want to be those who draw back to perdition. Uh, so we need to actually remember what our callings are. Like, why are you here? <laughs> which is a question that he takes me back to pretty often, like, what are you doing here? Um, and that's really merciful of him to do that. Oh, he was reminding me of the scene in The Matrix. It helps to put a movie thing out there. You remember The Matrix and the, um, the guy that's like on their side but betrays him, the Judas, and he's like... He's in the Matrix again, and he looks all like he's got a nice suit on. He's eating a steak or something, and he's like, I know this isn't real, but I don't care. I'm tired of real life. It stinks. I'd like to get out now. Um, 
you know, I know that I chose it, but I'm unchoosing it. Please give me the whatever, red, blue pill, whatever pill. I would like to go back. I, I, I take back my, I take back. I take back my response to the calling of being awake, and I don't want to be awake anymore because it's painful, and it's dirty, and it's cold, and the food is boring, and I hate it. <laughs> hey. You should watch that one. I'll put that one scene just for you. But listen, the, like the Israelites wandering in the desert, do you know what made them want to turn around and go back? It was the lack of diversity in food. <laughs> It was the lack of diversity in food that they wanted to go back to slavery. They wanted to go back to slavery because they're like, this is, we don't like it. Not because they were starving. Because they, there was just kind of one thing to eat. So it, this is real. I mean, this is real. Those are, they were really real people. We're, we're not different people. <laughs> we're all the people. There's a lot of space to turn back. You know, the Lord, um, I wrote it down. I believe it was, it wasn't a dream, but just a word he gave me, um, uh, some like the middle of October, and he just showed me. I was in a prayer meeting, and he said, um, you know, when you're, when you're in labor, um, like you're having your baby, when you're in labor, like the joy set before you is the baby, right? Well, I, like I will tell you from my experience, <laughs> I remember when Abra was finally born, and they laid her on my chest, and they said, it's a girl. And I felt bad, because it had been a really long minute before I cared at all. We didn't know if she was a boy or girl. It's a girl. And I was not holding on to wondering if it was a boy or girl the whole time, because at some point, the end of the pain, like when it's bad enough, when the contractions are coming so fast and the pain is bad enough, the baby is not... The joy set before you. The joy set before you becomes the end of the pain. And, like, if you haven't experienced it or you're not in the middle of it yet, if you're going to hang out in the house of prayer, you're going to run into moments where you want the pain to end because it is painful, because it is warfare. It is contested. This is contested in the spirit realm. It's really great. He's an adversary. It is a war. I think you said once it's not always a war. It's it's not only a war, it's, but it is always a war. It's a war. Like there's a war going on for what we do. It it seems so plain and simple. Like you wouldn't think that anybody would wage a war over you coming and playing like whatever the five chords that you know and singing. And there's two people in the room. It doesn't seem like it's anything for anything to get a bee in their bonnet about, but this is contested. And so there's going to be times where it's like, I mean, some of us come here. We're the only person from our family that comes into this room. That's real. Like, it's a war. You know? Whether it's we're like, we're having conflict. Whether it's we're bored to death. We can't hear God. We don't want to be here. We have a better, like, the pull of... um getting our leaves raked this fall. It's like, it is a war, do you understand? Like, it's just leaves, and it makes perfect common sense, but if we can touch back to, it is a war, like it's contested that we'd be here. It would help us. It would help us to talk about how it's a war, and our friends are at war. Esther was going into war. You know what? She's asked them. She says, would you please pray for me? fast for me. She lets Mordecai, like, he does not have the right to tell her what to do, but she humbles herself under the direction of the Lord. The will of the, he's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And he, she humbles herself and she listens to what he says and she will do what he says. And she's asked something in return. Will you pray for me? Will you fast for me? The whole nation fasts for her. But he's already said they will be delivered. It'll come from somewhere. If it doesn't come from her, it's not hinging on her. But they have compassion that it's hard. And there's something she's called to do. It's going to be really hard. You guys are called to do something. It's really hard. And do we love each other? And do we have compassion on one another? Do we recognize it's a war? Are we fasting and praying for each other to endure? This is what the Lord is talking to me about. He... He will move mountains for us to stay in our calling. And he'll let us walk away. 
you know. You know, um, I said, hold on, <laughs> I needed a Kleenex. I was gonna like, I was gonna sniff the whole rest of the time. Um, we do not know what he's doing. Do you understand that it's bigger than any of us could comprehend? Um, um, like the whole picture of it, and, and hopefully he's increasingly helping us to understand because, um, you know. You know, if we're going to be married to him, like we, he's like a good spouse. He brings us into his plans. Um, but we've all, I think everybody in this room has grabbed on a part, like you heard a part of uh, the mandate of Light Hop. And there was something in it that like got its hook into your heart and it pulled you in. Like, um, and I just want to say, like, if you're not called to be here, we bless you. We will pray, we would lay hands on you and pray for you to find where you are called to be, but don't come here if you're not called here. Because if the Lord's called you somewhere else, you should be where he's called you. But if you're called here, yeah. We've made a choice to participate in um, in the mandate um, that he has for Kalamazoo in this way. And we're doing it weekly. Um, we're doing it uh, hopefully to the best of our ability. Sometimes we're not, like we're just doing it in our flesh. And we keep coming back and saying, God, I'm sorry, I'm doing this in my flesh. Like, clean my heart and help me to do it um, so that it honors you and it glorifies you. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll wrap up. Um, I think it's good. I think the Lord is saying uh, we should re remind each other the big picture of what God is doing and, and what he's, his plan and purpose for the city of what he will accomplish. Um, because, uh, you know, in the nitty gritty and the just going, it's, it's good to like lift our eyes up and remember like what he is doing, what he's promised to do. Um, It's, we need to stir one another up to love and good works. Um, we need to care and we need to notice if people are falling away. Um, there's a passage uh, in James 5 and it, um, it says, uh, basically, if you, if you warn somebody and you, you're pulling them out of the fires of hell, like that's a really good thing. I, we do... We have to walk the narrow road of not running around and telling everybody what we think they're doing wrong. And at the same time, we cannot be afraid to tell people, hey, you're about to fall. Um, and so that takes a lot of, it is much more convenient to not tell people that what they're doing is wrong. Um, but he's like, there's a blessing in it for you and that person if you're pulling them from the fires of hell. Um, we need to be honest, and we need to ask for prayer when we feel ourselves slipping away. Like, it's okay to tell one another, I have, can you pray for me? I have no desire this week. I have no desire to, whatever, to, I feel like prayer leading is, is becoming a drag. It's really, I don't, I'm not looking forward to it, and it's actually becoming hard. The pull of the world is difficult, um, you know, like, it's okay. Those aren't petty things. Like, that is the wrestle that we're all in. And it's it's good to see each other. And um, it is not weakness to say, like, this is hard. And sometimes we need, um, we need prayer. Um, I'm like, what other passages do I have? I think that's maybe it. Are you the worship team? Do you want to come up? Okay. Was that what you thought I said? Tom Stoltz, please come. I said, hold on. Okay. So I'm going to pray for us while Tom's getting that set up. Um,
God, um, I'm asking for uh, courage to be vulnerable and ask for help. I'm praying that we uh, would not despise one another when we ask for help, but we would see it as a sign of um, like a vigorous and healthy um, house of prayer. Lord, um, thank you at all that you have called us into into your plans and purposes. It's amazing. Like, this is amazing that we get to do things with you. Anything. You're marvelous. I'd do anything with you. Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do this week? I just want to do that with you. And God, from like the, the, like the microscope zooming in on me and you, where I feel so important to myself, because I'm the only one in my head, Lord, pull me out when I need to see the big picture that, that what you and me are doing, um, it is impacting the people around us. It's impacting this city. God, show us more about what it means to be a lighthouse in this city. Um, show us how it's different than other houses of prayer, how we're called to do something a little different. How are you trying to flesh it out? How are you trying to... Um, Tell us more about why you named us this. I'm praying um, for fresh hope, fresh vision about what we're doing and why we're doing it. That we would have fresh love for you and fresh love for one another. Um, God, I'm praying everyone that, um, every place where we feel like giving up, for whatever reason, Here's our heart, God. I just say, like, I'm going to stop being fussy. I'll let you pick me up. I'll quit crying and throwing the temper tantrum at the same time. I might still be crying, but I'll let you pick me up, God. I'll let you carry me now. We just say we can't do this without you. And we don't want to do it without you. In Jesus' name. you let me be found with a heart after you may your eyes find this heart Lord